welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew in a series I've entitled The King and His Kingdom. This message is for people who know they are not perfect. Does that relate to any of you? Can any of you relate to not being perfect? I know most of you are going to raise your hand because you might actually believe you're perfect. I hate to break it to you, but you probably aren't. So if you know you're not perfect, how do you know that? I mean, what, what basis do you determine that? To prove the quality or nature or character of something, it must be tested. And so we're going to look at a text today, and we're going to see something that the reality uh, as we go through this thing we call life, especially the Christian life, that spiritual tests are a part of our growth, a part of our life, that they are natural, that they should be expected. We often are surprised by them. We often are shocked by them. We're stunned by them. Oh my gosh, what's happening in my life right now? But tests and temptations and spiritual tests come. Now, assuming that, that you want your faith to grow, somebody say, I do, then it would be good to know how to pass the tests that are going to come, right? You know, when I was in school, I can still, still actually remember being in school. It's getting harder and harder, but I can still remember it. You know, one of, the, one of the objectives was to know how to pass the test. You know, it wasn't necessarily knowing the material back then. It was just, how do I pass this test so that I can move on? We want to know how to pass these tests, not so that we can move on, but so that we can grow so that we can get out of these tests what we should. So we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to, to do that very thing. Heavenly Father, we do come and thank you and, uh, for this time and for this presence. And, and Lord, I just want to take a moment. You know, we've already prayed for those who are going through some pretty difficult things. We lift up Turkey and Syria to you right now. And, and they're not the only places in the world that are going through difficult times, Ukraine and and just a lot of places where really hard things are happening and, and, and not just in, around the world. We've got them in our own backyard. We've got them in our own neighborhoods. We've got them in our state and country. It's just, it's, it's, it's a difficult time. And so, Lord, we lift up all of these things to you and pray, Lord, your touch upon them. But I want to lift up a, a special prayer for, uh, for, Lord, our friends here, Pastor Jeff and Denise, Lord, as they're, as they're uh, taking a little uh, vacation 
uh, from the ministry that you've called them to up in Idlewild. And I pray, Lord God, as they've taken a moment to rest, I'm blessed, I, I'm blessed that they're here. Of all the places they could have been, they showed up here, and I want to thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, for uh, just a, that, that nourishing and that refreshing that they need so they can go back to their church and to their flock and minister to them in a way that, that draws them even deeper into a, a loving relationship with you. Lord, we open up this time. We ask for your blessing upon it. We ask, Lord, for your anointing over my lips, Lord God, that I might open the word of God to your people in such a way that they grow in their knowledge of you, they grow deeper in their faith, and they understand more what it is these things that, that come into our life and why they come into our life the way that they do and how we should grow through them. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. So last time we looked at the baptism of Jesus. If you missed that, you can pick it up, you can watch it online. But that chapter ended in a dramatic fashion. So I want to read that in chapter 3, verse 17, then we'll get into chapter 4. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So, so you know, Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. He sees the dove descending upon him. It's the Holy Spirit descending upon him. And then a voice from heaven, which is God the Father, speaking from heaven, saying, this is my son, declaring him to be exactly who he was, God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ. He was not only God the Son, he was the Messiah, the Savior King, all these different titles that are attached to him, and that one declaration, all of those things are wrapped up in that. So he speaks from heaven, describing him as, as the second person of the triune Godhead. And then something unexpected happens. At least it was unexpected. If I was writing this story, I would have done something differently. But I didn't write the story, so everybody say, good, thank you. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. The, the Greek word that is translated here as tempted is used two different ways in Scripture, in the Bible. The first way is, is how we see it here, and it, and it means to, to tempt, to try to trap, attempt to catch in a mistake, to entice to sin. So when we see temptation, that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to cause someone to stumble into sin, to lead them into sin, to try to trap them in sin. There are many places we see through the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, where some of the people are trying to tempt Jesus, to test him, to catch him in some sin so that they could accuse him. Always failed, but they kept trying. The second way that it's used is to test, to examine another, to submit another to a test, to learn the true nature or character of. Now, context helps us determine which one of the two definitions applies. So when you read it, you have to look at the two definitions, say which, which definition fits within the context. And the first definition fits within this context, but it's also not unusual that both definitions can be applied to the, to the text. And I believe that's the case also for this one. But we'll look at that as we get into it. A couple of things I want you to notice about this. And first, who led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted? And it was God, the Holy Spirit. God led Jesus out into it after he has this radical experience of being baptized, you know, the, the Spirit falling down upon him, God speaking from heaven. The very first thing does Holy Spirit leads him out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Second thing you should notice, it is the devil who does the tempting. It always works this way, that it's, it's God leads or allows temptation to come, but it's always the devil who is doing the tempting. Now, he'll use our flesh as well, but it's never God. God had a reason for bringing Jesus out into the desert, in the wilderness, and we're gonna talk about that, but it, but it was not God who does the tempting. James 1, 13 and 14 tells us that. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Why can we be tempted? Because there's something inside of us that wants whatever it is we're tempted by. We can say, oh no, that's not true. I don't want that. If you didn't want it at some level, you could not be tempted by it. Like, I am not tempted by heroin, right? There's no temptation in me for heroin. Why? I, it creeps me out. It, it terrifies me, the whole idea of it. I, no, no way. There's no temptation. Now, that chocolate cake in the back over there, that's a little different. There's some temptation back there. I've managed to restrain myself, hoping as Andy sits back there, he eats it all. But, and he might, so we keep an eye on him. But the reality is, is that when, when we're tempted, it's because there's something inside of us that at some level we want it. Now, now, we might want something, even when we know it's wrong, it's bad, it's, it's harmful to us. We may still, something inside of us is drawn to it. Otherwise, we couldn't be tempted by it. So it's important for us to understand that, especially as we read this text. Jesus is being tempted by what? Things that he desires. Things that, that at some level he needs or wants. Third thing we should notice about this is Jesus is alone in the wilderness. Temptation almost always comes while we're alone. It's one of the most dangerous places for us to be is alone. That's why we keep telling you, get in the body, stay connected, get connected with other believers. The more connected we are, the less alone we are, the healthier, safer it is for us in the long run. Stay connected. And he's not just alone. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking so. 40 days. Now, now we, need to, we need to remind ourselves about something. Who was Jesus? Jesus was God. We believe that. Jesus is God the Son. We don't have any question about that, but what do we also know about Jesus? He was a man. What kind of a man? A man just like us. He had the same basic needs for food and water and rest, same as we do. Bible tells us that when he came and he walked among us, that he set aside his divine attributes. They didn't stop being his. He had complete access to them, but he set them aside. And he chose to walk among us as one of us. So he was tempted in the same way that we were, we are. He was, you know, had the same strengths and weaknesses that we do. Here he is, 40 days, 40 days, 40 nights without food. He is on the verge of starvation. 
We can't, don't spiritualize this. Don't try to make it, oh, some, you know, but oh, he's, you know, but he was, you know, feeding off the air or some weird spiritual nonsense. No, he was starving to death. He was on the verge of death. The weakest point in his life, with one exception, and that was right before they nailed him to the cross. That was when he was attacked. He's alone. He's starving. He's in the wilderness. And then the attack comes. Verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. In that phrase, if you are, could also be translated since you are. It's not a, you know, Satan isn't saying, eh, I'm not so sure if you're the son of God or, you know, you know, calling, you know, causing Jesus to, you know, question if he knows who he is. Jesus knew exactly who he was and Satan knew exactly who he was. And so he's coming to him, since you are, hey, turn those stones into bread. And, and I, you know, I, I, this occurred to me as I was preparing for this study. I've always read this as, as Satan speaking very sarcastically. If you are, just turn these stones into bread. I don't know that that's actually accurate. If I, if, you know, it, it, I, Satan is wily. He's a deceiver. I can, I can almost imagine him just kind of slipping up to Jesus. Oh, man, you look terrible. You must, you, you must, you, you need, you, I'm really worried about you, Jesus. You need to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of the rest of the world? And tried to convince him to do something. Now, here's what we need to understand. Jesus could have done it. Jesus could have turned, yeah, you're absolutely right. He could have looked over to stone. You're, you're now at a, a nice, hot, steaming loaf of, I don't know, whatever kind of bread you like. Pita bread, maybe. I don't, what, whatever, what would they have eaten in Israel? I don't know, whatever. Bread, some bread. Gosh, you guys are not helping me at all this morning. <laughs> Here's, here's the point. When Satan tempts us to do something, we can. We are fully capable of doing whatever it is he tempts us to do. He never tempts us in areas where we're not capable of actually carrying through with the temptation. If, 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 he's, gonna, if he's gonna bring a temptation before you, it's because it's something that you have a desire for and you have the ability to carry it out. That's what he's saying right here. Jesus could have turned those rocks into bread. The reality is when we're, when we're tempted, we're always tempted in one of three areas. And the Apostle John described them to us in 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Whenever the devil comes to, you, to tempt you, whenever, whenever your flesh is tempting you because your flesh will sometimes just lead you into wrong places. Whenever that's going on, it's going to fall into one of these three categories. It's not of God. It's of the world. And so this very first temptation is a a temptation of the lust of the flesh. Did Jesus need bread? 
Yeah, he was starving. He needed to eat. Temptations will come when we are weak, and they will come in areas where we feel a need. So I need this. Sexual sin falls in that category. I need this. No, you don't. And when that happens, when that temptation comes, and they often come when we're weak, it may come when we're alone, it may come in some area where we're fully capable of fulfilling that, that need, we have to do what Jesus does right here. In Matthew 4, 4, he says this, but he answered and said, it is written. David alluded to this, actually mentioned it. Jesus went right straight to the word of God which, by the way, are his words, inspired in Moses. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus quoting out of Deuteronomy. And as much as Jesus needed to eat, he understood and realized that he needed to do what God had called him to do more. We so often, we recognize a need, we feel a need, we feel some you know, desire, and we, and we elevate that need or desire up to the most important thing in our lives. And that's where temptation comes most frequently, when, when some real need or, or what we believe to be desired. I mean, was it a good desire that Jesus was hungry and wanted to eat something? That was a good desire. But God had let him out in the wilderness and had him fast for 40 days. Why did he do that? doesn't tell us exactly why, so that he could be tempted like this is the answer ultimately. But when those desires come, we need to go back. We need to step back and say, but what did God tell me? What does God want here? Just because I have a need, just because I have a desire, doesn't mean God wants me to fulfill that desire. Often he wants me to deny myself, right? To deny my flesh. Jesus knew what God's word said. And we got to remember this. Jesus is alone in the wilderness. He's starving on the verge of death, and the devil is whispering in his ear that I can, you can make this all go away right now. We understand that all of that, all of those things did not nullify God's word to him. Jesus said, no, this is what God said. One of the keys to enduring temptations that will come in this life is knowing and believing God's word. I mean, if you've been around this church for more than a minute, literally, because we keep talking about it. We've already talked about it a couple of times. Read your Bible. The greatest defense you have against temptation in this life is your Bible. But it doesn't do you any good sitting on the dashboard of your car. It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be saturating your soul. It's got to be filling you up to overflowing. We, and we encourage you. We have the one-year Bibles out there. Get a one-year Bible. Get involved in a Bible study. Get connected to the body of Christ. Fellowship with other believers will help you in that as well. All of these things are good so that we can, so that we can identify temptation when it comes and know how to respond to it the way that we should. Okay. 
devil's not done with Jesus. Got another temptation coming up here, verse 5. Then the devil took him up into this holy city, which is Jerusalem, and set him on, a pinnacle, on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands <clears throat> they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Turn to Psalm 91 because that's, that's what the devil is quoting from. One of the things we need to keep in mind here and understand is the devil knows Scripture. How well does the devil know the Bible? Better than any of us. He knows it better than any, he knows every word in the Bible. And he says, hey, that's what the Bible says. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Now, understand, you know, what the devil is saying is that'd be a great display of your power. If you throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and then you land, do a, you know, do a superhero landing when you get down to the bottom, you know, the, you know and, you, and, and everybody looks up, oh, wow, look what happened. You know, they're, you know what they're going to think? He is the Messiah. Because that's one of the things they believed. They believed that the Messiah was going to show up on the pinnacle of the temples. One of the, one of the common beliefs in that time. And, it, and if you do that, then they're going to all know, oh, you are the Messiah. Who was Jesus? The Messiah. This is a way for you to prove to the whole world who you are, he would say to them. Everyone will know. There's one problem with the devil's quotation. Let's read here in Psalm 91, see if you can notice it. Starting in verse 10, no, verse 11. He, he, for he shall give his angels charge over you. Where am I? 11 and 12, yeah. To keep you in all your ways, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot across the stone. Did you notice what, he left, what the devil left out? To keep you in all your ways. Psalm 91 is about a man who is faithful to God and following God's will and plan. And he says here that, that you know, hey, that, hey, jump off there. That, you know, God's going to protect you. If you walk in faith and obedience, absolutely, God's going to take care of you. But you start doing what you want to do and challenging God to protect you, Jesus says, that's not going to work. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew 4, 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. We can't just assume upon the grace of God to do anything that comes into our mind. Well, I'm a child of God, so God has to protect me. Nope, doesn't work like that. You need to do what God says. You do what God says, and he says he'll take care of you. Jesus knew that stepping off the pinnacle of the temple was not God's will. While it might, from a human perspective, it might have made his ministry a lot easier because then he would have like, you know, it's like a big neon sign saying, I am the Messiah. This was a temptation of the lust of the eye. And again, it comes back to the same thing. The way that we resist the temptations that come before us is to know God and his will. Jesus knew that God had a plan for his life, and he knew that this was not it. Devil has one last temptation to throw at Jesus. Verse 8. 
Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. The final temptation falls into the pride of life. Jesus is the king of the world. He was the king of the world from eternity past. He was the king of the world when he walked on this earth and he will be king of the earth when he comes and sets up his earthly kingdom in the second coming. He is who he is. The devil is offering, offering Jesus a shortcut to establishing the kingdom. Rather than going through all this stuff like suffering and, you know, dying, rather than going through all of that, I'll just give you the kingdom, Satan says to him. All you have to do is bow down and worship me, which is exactly what Satan has always wanted and he will continue to want until God finally deals with him once and for all. The problem with the devil's offer is it bypass, bypasses the cross. It avoids the cross. See, yes, Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom, but he's, just, he's not just king. He came to be savior king. And he couldn't save us if he didn't go to the cross. We're often faced with a similar temptation to take a shortcut to God's plan. This is what God wants to do, and I, I can take this shortcut, I can get there faster, easier. One of the things that we need to understand is that God is not inter interested in just getting us to a destination. The journey is what prepares us for the destination. All the stuff we experience as we're going along gets us to the destination. When we get to the destination, we are prepared because of the journey. If we take a shortcut, we may get to the destination, but we're not ready for it. We're not prepared for it. All shortcuts. If you try to take a shortcut with God's plan, it's always the long way around. It always takes longer. It's always harder. It always costs more. And it can even, it can even cause us to miss out on what God has planned for us. God uses the journey to prepare us for the destination. Don't rush God's plan. Just go with it. It's always the right thing. It may take a little bit longer than you want, like every, almost every time, right? Anybody waiting for God to do something and it doesn't seem like it takes forever? Okay, maybe it's just me, me and Kelly. If we take a shortcut, to God's plan, we may not be in a position to be used by God when we get there. And for, for one, I, I don't think that's what I want. Jesus isn't going to fall for this temptation either. Jesus said to him, verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. This is another quote out of Deuteronomy. Remember, this is the weakest point in Jesus' life. He's alone in the wilderness. He's on the verge of starvation. He is, he is physically weak. But in this desperately weakened state, he stands up against the greatest evil in the universe. And understand something. He's not standing there as God. 
He's standing there as man. In the same way that if we are in the same place, that's exactly how he stood before Satan. Don't over-spiritualize this account. Jesus was in a, in a desperate place, and yet he stood up face-to-face, toe-to-toe with Satan. Now, thankfully, none of us will ever have to do that. None of us are so important that Satan's gonna come at us directly. Well, he'll throw some hard stuff at us, but not like this. I love the fact Jesus tells the devil to leave, and he does. And then verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So after the the devil leaves, after Satan leaves, angels come and minister to him. I'd love to see the video of that, see what, you know, what, what was the very first thing he ate after 40 days, you know? Chocolate cake, maybe. Oh, Andy's, yeah, you got it all finished back there yet? Okay, no, sorry. Jesus in his human flesh, on the verge of starvation, alone in the wilderness, withstood the temptations of the devil. And we need to understand something. You know, people like, you know, like to spiritualize this whole account. You, you can't. You shouldn't. Was Jesus tempted? That's people like, well, you know, Jesus couldn't be tempted to sin. Really? Why not? Well, Jesus can't sin. No, Jesus didn't sin. Did he feel the weight of the temptation? Yes. Far more than we would. Because Jesus was absolutely sinless. The weight of the temptation was so much heavier on him. And the fact that he withstood it in that weakened state, in that desperate state, in that lonely place, is remarkable. It is a testimony to his faith. One of the things we need to keep in mind about temptations, just as these temptations, that they were tough, but they were temporary. All temptations are temporary. They're tough, because if they weren't tough, they wouldn't be temptations. Same thing for us. So what do we do? Well, if we listen to James... We resist them and get through them. In James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When those temptation comes, God calls us to resist. God allows temptations. He allows them to test us and to refine us. He never sends us into a temptation that we cannot stand against. No matter what state you're in, no matter how weak you are, no matter how miserable life is, no temptation can ultimately overthrow you unless you allow it to. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful. Somebody say amen who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What does that mean about temptation? Which temptations can we withstand? All of them. All of them. That there is no temptation that cannot be overcome. No temptation that comes 
No, no one thing that comes at us, no matter how weak we are, no matter how miserable a situation, there is no temptation that we cannot overcome. God led Jesus out into the wilderness and then allowed him to get into this desperately weakened state and, and then tested him while in that desperately weakened state. God tested Jesus not to see if he would be faithful. Why? God already knew how it was going to turn out. God knew Jesus was going to be faithful. God knew that he would be able to withstand the temptation. He did it so that we could see it. So that we could see Jesus being faithful in the worst possible circumstances. Jesus was perfect. He was perfect then. He was perfect up until that point. He was perfect after that. He is and always was and will always be perfect. He endured these temptations without failing because he was perfect in all of his ways. And as a man, he was perfect in faith. You will face temptation. And sadly, you're probably going to fail occasionally. Hopefully not too often, but you will probably fail. That's what we have repentance for. We talked about that last week. If you missed it, pick it up. Temptations prove to us our need for further perfecting, that you're not perfect. And when a temptation comes and we don't always stand up and do as Jesus did, remind ourselves what God said, remind ourselves of God's will, and withstand that temptation and give in to it, then we repent and we move on. But that reminds us there's still work to do here. I still need to be more like Christ. We have everything we need to withstand every single temptation that comes, every last one. One of the things, brothers and sisters, that we need to do, we need to tell ourselves right now that there is no temptation that we can't withstand. Not one. We have to believe. But we also have to know God. We have to know his word. And God in his faith, you know, God loves you. You know what his desire for you? Holiness, perfection. And so he's not gonna allow you, he's not gonna allow the devil to bring something in your life that will crush you. Because he loves you. But he does expect you to do your part. He expects you to seek him. He expects you to love him. He expects you to obey him. He expects you to know him and to continue doing that and growing in those things. And when those temptations do come, to remind yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay, this is a temptation. God is able to get me through this. And all I have to do is say no. Say no to the devil, and you know what he has to do? He's got to go. You say no, and the devil goes. You have everything you need to resist the devil and make him flee from us. I love that. It's, it's not you actually making him flee. It's the God in you that's making him flee. But all you have to do is stand up and let God do his work. We have the same spirit inside of us. We have the same word of God that Jesus had when he withstood the devil in the wilderness. Not only that, Jesus crushed the power of Satan at the cross. He has no power over us except what we give him. So when he comes, we can stand at the foot of the cross and know that we'll be victorious every single time if we just believe 
and obey. Believe and obey. By faith, we stand in the victory that Christ won, and then no weapon formed against us can prosper. We cannot be tempted to fail if we'll stand in Christ. So put your faith in Christ. Get to know him through his word. Yield yourself fully to his Holy Spirit and trust God for everything. Amen? Do that and you'll pass more tests. Anybody want to pass more tests? I know I do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come thanking you for this day. And I pray, Lord, as we t- have taken this time to look at temptations, and, you know, and, and I don't know everybody here as well as I'd like to, but the reality is all of us either are going through something that is testing us or tempting us, and Lord, you do allow those things. You do sometimes will lead us into those things because you're trying to help us to grow into the image of Christ. And so I pray, Lord, wherever we are, whatever, whatever wilderness we might find ourselves, whatever, whatever desperation has developed in our lives, whatever, whatever is going on that just makes us feel like we're just under great pressure or, or carrying a heavy burden, Lord, we can recognize, Lord God, that you've made a way for us to get through that, that there is no temptation, there is no test that we can't, we can't pass. And not just pass, we can pass to the glory of you, God. We can pass because we have the Holy Spirit, the power of God living within us. We can pass because we have the word of God, the very word of God that we can turn to, that we might know you, and we might know how to pass these tests. You've given us the answer to every test. All we have to do is seek it. And most especially, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we know that we, can, that we have access to all of those things. And not only are those things, we have the ultimate victory. And that is the, the, the forgiveness of sin and the promise of heaven. And so, Lord, as we walk through this life and, and have to go through the different various wilderness and tests and temptations and tribulations and all the different things of life, Lord, we can always go back to that. That we have Jesus. That he is the author and finisher of our faith. That he is our advocate. That he is our savior king. And when all is dark and when all is, is, is the emptiness of a wilderness, you are there. And you know how we feel. And you're there to comfort and to strengthen and to equip, to protect and provide for if we will just seek you. And so I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to you. Whether we've known you for decades or maybe never opened our heart to you, I pray that our hearts would be open right now. And if there's anyone here or watching online who has never turned their heart to you, never surrendered themselves to you, never repented of their sins, never acknowledged their deep abiding need for you, that they would do it right this very moment. And as we prepare for communion, that our hearts should be prepared for you, God. So I pray, do a work in our hearts right now. Lord, help us to stand when standing feels impossible. 
We praise you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in this church, in our communities, in our families, and marriages, and everything else. We lift it all up to you, and we pray, Lord, you continue to do that work, and that we would, in faith, stand when, when it feels impossible to do so. Praise you, Lord, for this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.